Not anymore. Yes, I was a broken woman. Yes, I didn't love me. Yes, I decided to settle for what wasn't best for me. Yes, I was in a toxic relationship. Guess what? Not anymore. I have grown from the broken pieces. I have learned to love me when no one else loved me. I have learned that I will never settle for in my life or my peaceful atmosphere. I have learned the difference between love, lust of a good relationship. Yes, I wasn't perfect, but I learned to work on my mind, my body, and my soul connections. Yes, I have allowed the wrong spiritual around me. Now, I've learned about the not allowing the negative energy around me. Yes, I've been down the road of destruction. Now I've learned how to not move by emotion, but by the spirit of my faith and purpose. Not anymore, my fears will not keep me from being a better version of me. Not anymore, my toxicness will stop me from loving myself or trusting others in my peaceful place. Not anymore, my lack of post-trauma is going to stop me from my future growth. Yes, not anymore. I know I'm powerful. I know I'm overcoming. I know I'm a positive, I know I'm loved, and yes, not anymore, I'm dope, dedicated to other people, empowerment, I love my dopeness and so should you. my intro because it's acting up so oh. we gonna we gonna let the devil stop trying to do what it's doing today <laughs> it's okay it's doing a lot but hello thank you for <clears throat> tuning in to the power in this voice we've had a little technical difficulty with my intro sorry you know how life likes to work and do what it does but i like to thank you for being on the power in your voice today can you tell the people who you are and where you're from Yes, my name is Noor Zihan Alhawk, and I am from Clarksville, Tennessee. Awesome, awesome. So today, can you tell us a little bit of your story? Because I know your journey has been definitely a triumph. Yes. <laughs> but before we get to your story, mm-hmm. what do you feel made you start walking in your purpose? Well, what made me walk in my purpose was when other people kept asking me to share my story. Mm-hmm. When I first went public with it and they said, please don't stop sharing your story because it's going to help so many people. Which is absolutely true. And, you know, this month is domestic violence awareness. So this is mm-hmm. really near and dear to me. So right. can you tell the people, let's talk about your story. Okay. So my story begins where... Um, I was actually in an abusive relationship. I didn't even really realize that it was abusive because it was so subtle, but it was back in um, 93 when I was dating my son's father before he was my son's father. But uh, I was 18, he was 20, he was in the military. And, um, you know, a lot of abuse was mostly, you know, mental and, and verbal, you know, he would just like, call me out my name and stuff like that and you know um downgrade me and stuff like that in front of his, in front of his people and then 
it got to the point we started to get a little bit more violent and then he actually had um you know we would fight all the time and he pulled a gun on me twice um i was actually pregnant at the time he pulled the gun on me on the first time but basically what happened um so he was like i said he was in the military and i i was in college at the time that i was dating him and he i had told him because i had just got back from um from detroit so when i actually met him my sister she's the one who hooked us up and so when i got back from my last i mean from detroit i already had somebody that was ready to to meet me you know and i really wasn't trying to you know real you know serious relationship at the time like i said i was 18. and so he had a four-year-old son at the time already so he had a child at 16. you know but they said that when you come to Alaska, there's not a lot of women there, right? So um, that's why they he he was a player. Mm. And so we um we end up hooking up, but it was too soon, you know, it was really too soon that we hooked up, but I still told him I really wasn't ready to be in no serious relationship or anything like that. But then I had um I had found out that he wasn't actually faithful. He had cheated on me. And so <clears throat> You know, I cheated back when he went to um, not officer school, but they got they got deployed, not really mm-hmm. deployed in, into the war, but you know, they were gone for like thirty days, right? And so, so I wanted, I just wanted to get revenge on him, you know. So I cheated back, and I, but I felt bad about it, so I actually told him that's how he found out, right? That's how that's how he found out. But the next time, um, I mean, he did he we broke up, but then he actually. Um, he forgave me. He said he'll never forget though. You know, he said he'll forgive me, but he'll never forget. And so after that, it was just, you know, hell broke loose because we stayed together, but he would always treat me bad. And every time we argue, he would always remind me of, you know, of that incident. But at the time that we were together, he ended up getting, um, a 16 year old pregnant, Mm. you know, he's 20 years old in the military. So you know, he told the truth. That's how I found out because he was he got drunk and told the truth about that. And so I told him, I said, he has no right to be trying to, you know, blame me for something when he did what he did, you know. And so, um, but we, you know, like I said, we stayed together, but it was, he would always um, call me stupid, call me a hoe, all that stuff, you know. And then he wanted me to prove that I loved him by um, giving him money. You know, he was in the military. I was working at McDonald's. And so he wanted me to um, write, write a, I had a checkbook. He wanted me to sign a checkbook, sign the checks. So it was basically blank checks, right? <laughs> so they were signed by me, but he would write them for whatever amount that he would want to. And I'm looking, I'm like, all these Domino's pizza checks that he's been writing. Yeah, that's what he was using it for, you know? So my credit was was already ruined at 18 years old, you know, just because of that. And a lot of stuff I was just, you know, kind of trying to prove that I loved him and everything like that, but that wasn't love, you know? And so we hooked up in September, but I got, I found that I was pregnant in November. And so, you know, he kept trying to say it wasn't his and all that stuff, but I knew it was because of the time that I was conceived, right? Especially when the doctors told me when, um, when I got pregnant, so it was between the, 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 um, the 6th to the 10th. And I know we hooked up all three of those, the 6th, the 9th, and the 10th. I would come and see him during during um, lunchtime. 
So I said, there's no way that that's not his child, you know. So anyway, we stayed together, but he would always, like I said, um, just, you know, emotional, emotional abuse was mostly what I dealt with, with him, with a lot of the, you know, call me stupid and stuff like that. And then, you know, when you have low self-esteem, you're going to start believing that, you know, it starts becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And then you hear it enough and just start feeling that way. And so, plus I was always, you know, I was good looking. You know, he knew that, so he didn't want me to be around any other men. He was very right. possessive. He even had it to where whenever I go somewhere, you know, I had a pager. So he gave me a code so that whenever <laughs> I see a number that I don't recognize, his code was 20. So if I see the 20 behind that, I know that's him, right? So he was, like, keeping tabs on me, and I was thinking, wow, this is cool. You know, I thought I thought it was like, oh, he really loves me. Right. you know want to know where i'm at all, all that time but that was possession so that wasn't good you know and then of course isolation you know he would always try to keep me to himself and stuff like that you know didn't want me to be around anybody else and i tried to tell my family that he was crazy and i told my friends he was crazy and they didn't want to believe me you know so one day i tried to it, it, and it kind of backfired my little plan i told my friends i said okay he has my pager I want y'all to just page him just like crazy. Like, let my pager just go off. So he'll be wanting to give it back to me like, man, your pager go off too much, right? That's not what happened. He ended up calling my friends and was like trying to be like the nicest person that he could be, like make it look like I'm the crazy one. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, no, he's doing that, you know. that's So they had believed him more than they believed me. And I was just wow. like, oh my gosh. So yeah, my, my, my little plan didn't work out you know so i thought that was that was pretty bad but the thing is too he had so also um he he wanted to pimp me out one day mm. you know talking about you know he said you're good at sex you should get paid for it i was wow. like say what <laughs> like i'm not about to do that right you know but these are these are just the things that he would say to me just like mm -hmm. you know crazy stuff out of out of nowhere and so but um we wanted to make sure the thing that i did like about him is that he he cared about my education right because when i did when i was when i first met him i was in college and sometimes i would want to skip class to come and see him he was like no you know, you go to school first and then you see me after class and all that stuff, you know. So he did make sure that 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 I stay, you know, kept with my education and everything. So this was 93 and my son was born July 23rd, 1994. Um, and then he ended up getting deployed, not deployed, but he ended up PCS. So mm -hmm. This was Alaska. So it was a Fairbanks, Alaska, which was actually Fort Wainwright was the base. PCS is P permanent change of station, in case people don't know that, a military term, is when they, they leave a certain base and then they go to another one, right? So then he ended up getting um, transferred to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which is, you know, where I'm at right now for, for Clarksville, Tennessee, right? So after, you know, after my son was born and he was one and everything like that, we got the blood test. He was 99.58% his son. So then he wanted to be, a, you know, um, get more acquainted with them and everything like that. So then when he left, um, I left Alaska to come and to come and be with him. Right. Well, we thought I thought we were going to be a family and everything like that. But that didn't happen. And I should have left. I should have stayed because I was safe. You know, like I said, he had, he had pulled a gun on me once and then he put a gun on me twice. 
So after that, it's like, I didn't know what he was going to do. Because if a person pulls a gun on you, but then they don't pull the trigger, you don't know what they're going to do next time they pull that gun on you. Right. So it's like, whatever he said to do, I just did, you know. But like I said, I don't know why I left Alaska. I could have stayed there. But um, another reason that I left is because I had found out I had another sister and she lived in Knoxville. We wanted to, you know, get to know each other. So I left really to, to stay with her and everything. But the damage really took place. So I'm just going to kind of forward, fast forward. So he ended up tricking me into giving him custody of my son. Mm, okay. And so this happened. Um, I want to say in 1996. And so, um, yeah, cause he, he said that, you know, he wanted joint custody, but we didn't have joint custody because we weren't married. Mm. So they said, well, we can't do joint custody because you're not married, but we do have temporary custody, which is going to be, um, you know, just un until he's 18, you know, um, he will have, he will have temporary custody, but then through those years, you can switch it back. You know, like after three months, if I want custody back, it'll go back to me. Three months, go back to him and all that. That's how it was supposed to be, right? And he said, but if he decides to do it, then it'll be a fight. He said, I'm not going to do that to you. So he lied pretty much. He lied about not, you know, doing that. Right. And he ended up keeping custody and stuff like that. So I really didn't get to see my son throughout the years that he was growing up. But then um, I moved to Nashville with my other sister. And then he was getting ready to go to officer school for like 30 days. So he wanted to see me. And plus, I wanted to see my son. So he came and got me one day. And this was October 18, 1997. So this is where the actual damage took place on the next morning. So October 19th is where everything took, um, you know, took a turn where I was actually, I forgot to tell you, um, my name, Noor Jihan Abdullah Al-Haq, is actually Arabic. For Norge, it's light of the world, servant of the true. But in 96, you know, I had went to church with his mom. She invited me to go. And then I had actually gave my life to the Lord. So then I went from, you know, being a Muslim to Christianity. And so um, then, you know, I started living for the Lord and all that stuff. But then um, that day, he wanted to get ready to go to church. And I wanted to go. He said, whose church? I said, your church. He said, no, you can't go because you're here with me. My mom's going to know that you stay tonight. You know, you know, she don't like that being in the house. You know, you're not married and all that stuff, you know. So um, so I was like, okay. So he said, well, I can take you to the Greyhound station and you make it look like you came on a Greyhound or whatever, you know. And so I was getting ready to go get dressed. And then I heard a voice. Um, and then he started, you know, my son started acting up. and I was like, why is he crying like that? You know, but he was screaming and I heard a voice go back there and said, go back in there with your son. So I was like, all right. So when I went back in the room, I saw him up against the wall holding my son. He had his hand up, you know, then he had his knee in his back. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, I said, what are you doing to my child? He was like, I'm not doing nothing. I said, why is he screaming like that? He said, ain't nothing wrong with him. He just acting like this because his mama's here. I said, okay, well, what is he doing? What are you doing when I'm not here? Right. Because he said, are you accusing me of abusing him? I said, well, that's what it looks like. You know, so he got in my face. Oh, I told you about trying to accuse me of abusing my son, poking his finger like this. Right. So I'm like, you're violating my space right now when you're in my, you know, you're doing that. So I, you know, got him out my face and then I kind of shoved him on the side of his head. 
So he retaliated and he got back up and then he kind of put me in a, you know, hold like this, right? Had my arms, um, his arms under me. So we're struggling, you know, I'm trying to get out of it, the whole situation. And then we slipped on a blanket. And so while we're um, on that blanket, that's when the whole damage really took place. Because this is the point where now he had full control. Mm. And so he was choking me, right? I was telling him, I said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. You know, he just kept pushing harder and harder, you know, um, with his pressure. Instead of letting go, he was like, I told you not to hit me. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm telling him I'm sorry for hitting him and everything, right? And so then instead of him letting go, he did the ultimate trail. And, you know, and I heard my neck crack. Mm. And then I was out, like my lights were out. I was just like, I know I didn't just come here and die. That's what I'm saying to myself, because all I saw was gray. And I don't know how long I was out, right? Then next thing you know, I'm back. I was just like, what happened? You know, um, it was just, I didn't know where I was. I said, where, where you know, I was, I was in shock because I was still here, right? But everything was quiet, and and then he he rolled me over. Noor, Noor, are you okay? You know, and so I was like, "What happened?" And he, I don't know, you know. But I was like, I can't feel my legs. And so at that point, um, you know, he he panicked. Well, he said he panicked. I don't know, but I was trying to tell him. I said, "I can't feel my legs. What's wrong with me?" And all this stuff, right? <clears throat> And then he was like, I don't know. And so then I'm feeling, you know, my neck is all wobbly and everything like this, you know, but I was hot. So he kept trying to bring me like ice and stuff, trying to nurse me back to health himself. You know, I forgot to tell you, his brother was there and he was like, just tell mom I'm not going to make it today or something like that. So he left with the car, mm -hmm. right? His mom's a pastor. And so, you know, her church is long. It was like three hours before I even got any medical attention. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he made the paralysis worse by trying to help trying to nurse me back to health himself and trying to get me to move, you know, trying to lift me up and trying to tell me, hold on to him, pull up on his neck and everything like that. I'm like, I can't do all of that, you know, and, and just all kind of stupid stuff, you know, just that the wrong stuff that he was doing, you know? And then um, I said, well, I think you broke my neck. He said, your neck ain't broken because you wouldn't be able to tell me that your neck was broken if it was broken. Right. right? So I'm sitting here like, yeah, you're right. You know? So I said, what's, well, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. You know, and he didn't know. So, like I said, he's just trying to pull me back, you know, bring me back to health himself. And then my son, he was trying to get on me. He's like, mommy, mommy. I was like, no, son, get off of mommy right now. You know, I'm sitting there. I could see him on me, but I couldn't even feel him. Right. I couldn't even feel him pouncing on me, but I could see him. So I was like, no, just, you know, get over there and wait until his brother got back. And so then um, this is upstairs. So when his brother gets back, he said, we got to take her to the hospital. So instead of getting some help to where, you know, I would have some stability on my neck or something, they're both taking me down these steps. So he had one half of me and his brother had the other half of me, right? And so my neck is sitting there doing like this, like a bobblehead going down them steps because there was no stability. So then, you know, he laid me in the car. Um, with the seat all the way back. And then, um, uh, of course, he apologized. He said he was sorry. You know, we prayed and everything in the room. But then he told me, um, 
to let them know that I was, he came up with a story. Well, actually I was telling him, I said, well, um, you know, he's like, I don't want to go to jail. Jail is like hell. Right. And I was like, well, what's more important, your career or my life? He was like, right. your life. I said, okay, we're going to do something. Right. And so, you know, when you're with a partner, you're going to, you're going to lie for them or whatever. Right. I mean, we weren't together anymore, but still he told them, he told me to tell them that, um, I was playing with the baby and I slipped on some water and fell down the stairs. Mm. How did I know it was going to be that you slipped down the stairs? I mean, and I went with it, but they could tell, like when I was at the doctor, they they could tell by the way that my, my neck was fractured. It wasn't a full break. It was a fracture to the spine, C6, C7 vertebrae. Mm. But they could tell that it was from somebody's hands being put on my neck. That's why they didn't they didn't go with that story. Right. And so I ended up having to wear a halo for six weeks, um, you know, paralyzed from the chest down. I used to be right handed, but then I had to learn everything again. Um, it said he didn't want to get caught. Oh, OK. Yeah, that's Shannon. OK. It's hard to see that, you know, really small. But um, so, yeah, I had to wear a halo for six weeks. Which that is a miracle in itself, right? Because normally when people wear a halo, it's for 12 weeks. But for me, it was only six weeks. But that, with, with that, I had to have really good peripheral vision because, you know, unless a person was standing right in front of me, because I, I couldn't turn my neck left or right. right. So that's the only way I could see you if you're looking dead in front of me, right? And so um, so I got to six, six weeks having to wear the halo in a wheelchair, I had to learn how to push myself in the wheelchair and all that stuff. And also, I used to be right-handed. But because of the way that they went into um, my body, because they took a bone from my hip and then, you know, to mend my neck back together, so it affected the right side of my body. So I'm kind of like a stroke patient because usually when you have a spinal cord injury, it's both sides, you know, it's going right. to be affected at the same time, right? But for me, it was one side, so I had to learn everything all over again with my left hand. So now I'm considered, you know, a lefty, but it's harder now because, you know, this is a right-handed world. Right. You know, it's a lot of used to using my right hand to open a door. Now I have to use my left hand. And when a door doesn't open the right way, you know, I got, I got to try to shift my body to get into the door with the wheelchair. And, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, it's a problem. So. But the miracle is, is that um, because I had got saved and then I was being discipled, you know, I was at a church that I had just um, got baptized at. And so um, I was in I was in a disciple class and I was always going to that class. And so when I didn't go that day, they they, they said, well, Nora never misses class. So I was able to call them and let them know what happened. And so then they ended up bringing my my class to the hospital. So I didn't have to miss it. So they were in the lobby and it was like, we could still have discipleship class and everything like that. And so that was a, you know, that was a blessing. But then also um, my mom, you know, she was in Alaska when this happened. His mom actually called my mom, right? Mm -hmm. And then my mom, she happened to be on the, the next plane the next day, you know, this happened on the 19th, but I had the surgery on the 21st. And so she ended up staying, um, staying in my room and um, then she found a, right across the street from the hospital, there was like a, 
like a shelter or something like that she would go mm -hmm. to, but then she would come back in the daytime. So after losing the ability to walk, um, when you have a spinal cord injury, you also lose your lower extremities, right? To be able to use the bathroom, you know, valves and urination. And so, you know, I had to use a catheter in order for me to, you know, urinate. I could always feel it though. The mm -hmm. thing is, I always could feel the urge to go. I just couldn't push it out. Mm. And even to this day, I know when I have to go, right? I right. just can't push it out. So do you still have to use a catheter now? I do. Okay. I do still have to use a catheter now, but that's only because um, after I had gotten, you know, rehabilitated and, you know, got my life together and everything like that, um, I was actually able to go, but I was, it was like overactive. Mm, okay. Right. It was like, I, could, I mean, it could get triggered if I just go across a, you know, when we're in the car, we would go traveling and we'd, we'd go across a bump or something to trigger my right. bladder. Right. And so I was always wearing them, you know, depends. adult diapers. Right. Yes. Yeah. The depends. Yeah. And then um, I happened to find out one day that it wasn't overactive bladder. It was actually retention. It was like a mm -hmm. balloon that will never deflate. That's yeah. what my bladder was doing, because even though I just went, there was always still some urine Something there. in there. Right. Right. And, but because of my hand, I could not grip to be able to cap myself. Right. So. That's why when I saw a urologist, he said, you're not going to be able to do this. So we're going to have to give you a Foley. I said, what is that? You know, and that's when he told me it was a Foley catheter that stays in and get it, get it changed every, every 30 days and stuff like mm -hmm. that. You know, so like I said, I had gotten independent and um, I even went back to school and everything. And, but my bladder got ruined actually from my job because I was working mm -hmm. at a job for 11 years at a call center and we had to stay on the phone until the, um, you know, until our our call was resolved, right. so I would hold my bladder a lot. You know, so by me doing that, you know, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of ruined my bladder. You yeah. know, but um, but yeah. So those are those are a lot of the health issues that I deal with, and with the catheter, you know, um, you can get chronic urinary tract infections, right? You know, or it gets clogged, or it can come out. You know, right. a lot of that stuff is going on, and so um, yeah, it totally has been a disruptor you know, with, um, with the whole situation, the fact that nothing happened to me, this was October 97. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a court date until May 98. Oh, a whole year, like a year later, almost a year later. Wow. And by that time, um, I was actually pretty much walking again, right? right? Because I had got rehabilitated for two years. I mean, I'm sorry, two months. And then, um, then, uh, you know, me and my mom, we found a place to stay in Smyrna. And then um, I was going to rehab, you know, so I learned occupational and physical therapy. And the good thing about and the fun, well, I won't say the fun thing, but at this time, now my son is three. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, we had it to where I had visitation. So he would come with me sometimes when I, it was my weekend with him mm -hmm. and he would come with me to physical therapy. And so one time I was in the bars, you know, to learn how to walk again. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you're doing a good job. Good girl, mommy. You know, and that, that was just inspiration. You right. know, hearing that from him at three years old saying that. So that made me really want to walk again, you know, just just for him. Right. You know, and so. So after that. Um, I forgot where I was going with that story, but. I started, yeah, I started walking again. And at first I was using a walker. 
Then I had graduated from the walker to the cane. Okay. Yeah. So you no longer use the wheelchair at all anymore. It's just the, the cane now. No, actually, I do still have my wheelchair because okay. even though um, I was able to walk again, mm-hmm. it's only so far that I can walk until I get tired. Gotcha. And so I have it because um, if I have to go somewhere that's a lot of walking, then I use my wheelchair. Like when I travel, like I just got back from New Orleans, right? And that's mm-hmm. when I had a sold out event with my book and I use my wheelchair there. Okay. Yeah. So tell us about the book. So the inspiration came from your domestic violence story? Yes. Mm-hmm. And how did you come up with the title? And what was your part? What do you want people to get out of your book? Well, my book is called Broken Vessel, How I Became God's Masterpiece. And um, I actually struggled with the title when I first started it, because this is actually the third title that I went with. My okay. first title was going to be the um, my purpose-driven life. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was going to be um, broken, but not destroyed. But I didn't have no subtitle at the time. Right. And so how I ended up writing the book, I was with um, Ava Eagle Brown. She's a, she's a book writing coach. Mm-hmm. And she was telling us, just throw up on the paper. Just, you know, don't even worry about, she said, don't even worry about a title right now. Right. Cause people start worrying about a title. They'll never write that book. Right. Right. Because you want the pages, you want the chapters to meet the title. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, or match the title. And so she said, just just be vulnerable. Just throw up on the paper. Don't even worry about it. You know, don't worry about the grammar, nothing like that. Just tell your story. And so that's what I did. And so um, I started on it in 2016. And um, me and my family, we went to uh, Hatter's Island for the summer, a little summer vacation. And while everybody else was out doing their little vacation and stuff like that, I had my notebook and I was writing. And my cousin's like, what you doing over there? And I said, I'm writing. I'm writing my book. And they're like, you're writing a book? I'm like, yeah. You know, so I wanted to continue writing it. And so then I got to the point where it got too too much for me to write. And so I found uh, my hands started getting tired is what I'm saying. So I found a note. I found a little um, app. I just Googled an app, you know, how you can trans transcribe it and so mm-hmm. i spoke the rest of my book so i have set i have nine chapters so the last two chapters i actually spoke into it and then i just you know once i was done i looked it up on microsoft word pulled it up and then fixed all the grammar and everything like that right and, and so i finished it um actually around midnight of 2017 so i normally would go to watch night service but this time i didn't I stayed at home because I said, I want to finish this book, right? Mm-hmm. And so I prayed in the new year by myself. And then I finished it in 2017, like right at midnight. And so I've been sitting on it. I've really been sitting on my book for two, you know, for six years. But I had there were some different um publishing companies that I had gone through that I was thinking about using, and they were too expensive. Like they were way up there, you know. They're like, but you want to be able to get into Barnes and Nobles and Books of Millions and all these big, big top names and all that right. stuff, right? I'm like, yeah, but I ain't trying to pay that type of money either. So right. I said, I'll just wait. So at the time, I still had just broken vessel because I thought about it. Um, it was going to be chapter nine. That was going to be my chapter's uh, title, right? I was watching John Hagee one day. And this is how he got the concept of broken vessel. He said, when a vessel is broken and you try to put it back together, 
it's never going to go back to its original state, right? There's going to always be some pieces missing. And so with those missing pieces, the light is going to shine through those pieces. Mm -hmm. But if it's put back together whole again, the light can't shine through. It. I was like, oh, that is so powerful, right? So like I said, that was going to be my chapter nine. But then as, as the years gone by, I went back and revised it a little bit. And then I said, well, now that I've gotten to where I'm speaking, I'm doing different speaking in, in, um, engagements, I'm, I'm on TV, I'm on the radio and all that stuff. So I changed chapter nine to um, I'm a seed about to be planted. And so then I really um, changed the title to Broken Vessel for the whole title now. And then I didn't, like I said, I didn't have a, I didn't have a subtitle yet. Right. Until I went, I met um, with a new writing coach, uh, King Willie Tubbs, which is our CEO of the company I'm with, Kingdom Community, uh, KBM, which is Kingdom Builders Movement Ministry. Right. I'm a chief executive, chief executive, chief administrative officer there. And so, but he he's the one who helped me come up with a subtitle. And so um, I helped, I went through him actually through Kingdom Publishing and uh, Kingdom Anthologies actually, and got it done in uh, October last year is when I really finally got it edited and stuff like that. And then we um, finally, I got it published this year, actually January 28th. So I told him, I said, I've been sitting on him. When I, actually, when I first met him, I met him three years ago through another um, entity. He was a guest speaker um, on a Bible study. He does, he's the Reset Your Economy coach, too. He has a book called Reset, Your, Reset Your Economy, How to Live Your Dream Through the Economy of God in Spite of the Economy of Man. And he's also an acronymist. We both, you know, we take out words and we make acronyms out of them and stuff like that, right? So we just connected in a way. And so um, when I when I had spoke to him, he was talking about a subtitle, and, and I, that's why I was really thinking about it. But he also helped me get it published and everything. And um, so, like I said, that happened in January um, of this year. So it, it is on Amazon, right, if people want to get it. But I'd rather them get it from me so that, that way they can get an autographed copy. And how do they connect with you to get it? So my website is noorjihanalhawk.com. You just, you know, go there and uh, I would see it's a, it's a form people fill out and I would see the form with their name, their um, email and their phone number. So when it's and what I'm doing right now, too, I'm in, a, I'm in the middle of revising it because I've gotten people. This is another secret that Willie told me how to um, get your book to be a bestseller is by having people make a. Uh, you know, reviews about your book. So I have over like 50 people, you know, that read, you know, read the chapters and stuff like that. Some of them read the whole book. I wanted them to just read one chapter, right? But right. they couldn't put it down. So they were like, oh, I didn't know I was only supposed to read that chapter. And they read the whole book, you know? So, so yeah, um, I'm working on a revised version of that and also on an audio book for it too. Now, is there so, going to be a book too? Not a book too, just a no. revised version. And then, well, I do want to do another book, but it's going to be a book of poems. You know, we're going to. And that's what I mean. Like, were there any yeah. more books to come? Yeah, there's going to be some more. At first, I was thinking about doing a sequel, mm -hmm. but then um, he was teaching us. You know, we're also learning how how to write our book in um, 
in our classes with him, with Kingdom, with KBM. Um, when you become a founder, he, you know, he has a writing class that you're able to take that class for free. That's normally a $5,000 class, right? So he's teaching us how to write a book, but not as the way that I wrote it, right? Because right? the way I did it, you know, I did it in a chronological order where, you know, I did it from certain events, right? Mm-hmm. So it starts out from my age 12 up until age 40 is how I wrote the book. So each chapter is from each, you know, different incident in my right. life. And so that's not how you're really supposed to write a book, <laughs> according to him, you know? <laughs> and so it's just like everybody's working on their number one book. And I was going to work on number two, but he said, just concentrate on finishing this one, you know, getting the revised book done and everything like that. But he wants, he, he said the best way to do a book is like with a mind map. You know, you do, you, you write the things down. Like what outline. Inspired you. Yeah, it's kind of an outline, but it's a different way to do an outline. So he uses okay. a mind map where you talk about the incident and what made you even write your first chapter, mm-hmm. you know, what the chapter is going to be about and stuff like that. And so that's a little challenging for some people, right? you know, but um, it's also going to be an investment book. So instead of us just being able to have people purchase a book from us, no, they're investing in you. So you're able right. to have them pay every month. Like I say, wouldn't you rather a person pay $5 a month every month, you know, to continue with, um, doing business with you versus just buying your book one time? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the stuff that he's teaching us. That's what's up. Yeah. Do you have a poem that you want to share before we go? Um, Sure. It's called I Am Not My Past. And um, it's actually in my book, too. But I can read it. Let's see here. I'm going to give you the full screen. Okay. All right. So it says, I am not my past. To all my haters out there, I have something to say. So you can either listen or feel free to walk away. If you weren't with me during my past, then don't judge me about my past. Because I am not my past. And my past is not me. My past doesn't define me. But my past is behind me. My past is a part of my destiny. And it's just a purposed assignment for a strong testimony. We go through things when we let sin in our life. And that's when we're left with misery and strife. But the devil is a liar and Jesus is the truth. So I say, get thee behind me, Satan, you evil sleuth too. I denounce you as my friend because you lead me to nothing but sin. And when it comes to the gates of heaven, I want to make it in. And I am not my past, and my past is not me. If you're looking for the old me, you're knocking on the wrong door, because that person doesn't live there anymore. You thought you knew me then. Well, let me introduce you to my new friend. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to break me down, then you got another thing coming, because God made me strong and a phenomenal woman. If you're not trying to build me up, then keep your comments to yourself. Because all that negativity is bad for my health. You think this is a game? Well, I think you're pretty lame. But I don't play around with my life. And what you just said, cut like a knife. God can turn a mess into a message and trash into treasure. And when it comes to the choices in life, they either make you bitter or make you better. So he who is without sin... Go ahead and cast the first stone. 
because there is no one perfect, no, not one, but he who sits on the throne. And I am not my past, and my past is not me. I'm not trying to pass judgment. I just want to live my life right. I'm a type of person who can turn darkness into light. They say when the light comes around, darkness has to flee. So you're either for me or you're against me. But the real recognizes the fake and you ain't nothing but a snake. And with the lifestyle you're living, we'll never get you through the gate. So do me a favor, that is, if you don't mind, please stop trying to be a fake friend of mine. And I am not my past and my past is not me. I plan to walk the roads that are narrow, not crooked, but are straight. So you better follow me before it's too late. Cause when the trumpet sounds, I don't wanna be on the ground, but I wanna be in the air where all my enemies are left to stare. My purpose in life is to walk through the gates of pearl where we are forever young and not old and the streets are paved with gold. And when I get to heaven and I see my father's face, as I look into his eyes, I will stand mesmerized while he looks at me and says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Thank you for believing in my son. Now the battle is over and the victory you have won. Give her some snaps. Because <laughs> that was awesome. Thank so you. what inspired that poem? Um, really, what inspired it was um, my son's aunt. She had said some words to me because I had a page on Facebook that I had started called break the silence to stop the violence. Right. And I had invited her to that page, you know, and her brother and all that stuff. And she was like, don't invite me to something that can hurt my brother. Right. And wow. then I was just like, that wasn't what the page was for. Right. But then she was just like, well, I know you and I know who you are. And, you know, you're trying to make people, you know, feel sorry for you and all this stuff. But I know the truth and all this stuff. I only tolerate you because of my nephew. I said, tolerate me? That was a harsh word. Right. I was like, whoa. Okay. So instead of me retaliating and saying stuff back to her, I write stuff down. Right. Like that's how that's how I get back at people. Like, I'm not gonna come and cut you with my mouth or anything like that. I'm gonna use my words. And that's how I end up making that, you know, right writing that poem. It was an awesome poem and it's I'm sure it touched home for a lot of people. So the people that are watching now and for those that watch later. Take yeah. it, take it in, and you know, take those gems. Is there any inspirational words that you would like to give out to the women that may be going through domestic violence or coming out of it or don't know where to go? Yeah, I, I would just say that, um, you know, just remember we are pearls, we are gems, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God didn't make us to be a, a um, a, not a stumbling block, a um, a doormat or a punching bag. Right. And I know a lot of us, the reason that we stay with our abusers is because of low self-esteem. But in order for us to really heal, we have to heal ourselves first. Right. You can't love anybody else until you love yourself. So find that self-love. And I, my acronym for heal is help everyone acknowledge love. And when you love yourself first, you love God and then love yourself. Then you can help love others. So when you know that um, you have a purpose in life and that you have more to offer the world, you know, don't let somebody tell you who you're not. Just listen to who God says that you are. And my, my motto is always stay humble 
Always stay encouraged and always stay true to yourself. Put God first. Keep pushing. Be um have our armor up, right? Because we got to continue with having our armor on so that we can fight the enemy. And then what we also we are a story of love, right? So you can become a better version of yourself. You know what's crazy? I also have an acronym for HEAL. I tell you, we are so much yes, alike. We do poetry, we're both the author. But uh -huh. my acronym for HEAL is Helping to Empowering Amazing Lives. So, okay. you know what I'm saying? Like, you you know, it, it's crazy I that it. everything is just so connected in, you know, mm -hmm. in the same thing. Because as far as you also saying about becoming a better version of yourselves with me, mine is about unmasking people to become mm. a better version of themselves. So taking off that I, mask. Absolutely. I'm all right. for the removal of the mask because a lot of times like how when you created the page for domestic violence and she came on the page, but that was you for your peace and your freedom and you helping out and speaking out for people. And right. you'll, you will have those people that give you that judgment and make you want to feel like you're ashamed or it was your fault. And we have to stand for those people to understand mm -hmm. that, you know, we have to be their power in their voice. We have to be there to speak for those that can't speak for themselves. So I commend you right. and I commend you to continue to do your purpose and walk in your purpose and to help people come from behind their masks and help healing these people and make them a better version of themselves and keep pushing mm -hmm. through all the things that you push through on a day to day. Amen. Amen. So any other closing words or any people you want to shout out before we go get off air? Yes, I want to shout out to my KBM family. I love y'all. Hopefully y'all y'all are watching. If you're not, you can catch the replay. And also I want to invite everybody, if you would like to be on a platform that allows you to be yourself, you can be your true authentic self. You don't have to worry about, like we said, being behind a mask, right? You go to kingdomcommunities.us. And we are a faith-based community and we're looking for people that just want to, you know, get a deeper relationship with their Heavenly Father. You have a ministry, you have an organization, you can make your own page, your own group, you know, and we'll be having our event coming up November 9th through the 11th. Um, we'll have the information soon, but it's from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern time each night. And so, you know, just be a beta tester, just get on our site, get on our platform and, you know, see how we're different from. Facebook and all those other social platforms because you also get rewarded for the activity that you do on our on our platform. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for being on our platform, hun. This has been the power in your mm -hmm. voice. I have been your host, Sheena Gadine, better known as the lady behind the mask. If you are interested in being a guest on the podcast, you can always connect with me on Facebook as Lady Behind the Mask or Sheena Gadine. Or you can find me on Instagram at LadyBehindTheMask22. You can hit me on my email at SheenaMaskTheMotivation at gmail.com. Or you can find me on my website at www.SheenaMaskTheMotivation.com. As always, it's been a pleasure. We are always here to motivate, inspire, and empower. I thank you, mm -hmm. and y'all guys have a great night. Awesome. Life struggles. One life tries to fight you back. Welcome to the power in you.